listening to a message from Red Church in Melbourne, Australia. If you'd like to know more about Red or its ministries, please go to redchurch.org.au. Great to have you joining us here today as we open the Word of God. We are rapidly approaching Christmas Day as we are undertaking this Advent journey, journeying towards Jesus' birth together. Many of you will have been reading the Advent readings uh, and what we're going to do today is we're actually going to dip into a passage that I preached on last year. I rarely ever re-listen to my sermons, but I did this week and was really struck by, I think, some of the prophetic messages that were in the text that were pointing towards so much of what's happened uh, and we've experienced this year. So I wanted to revisit this passage and again Uh, I get soak in it and listen to what God is saying to us at this moment as we look forward to Christmas and to next year. So we're looking at Luke chapter 1, verses 5 to 25. That's Luke chapter 1, verses 5 to 25, if you're reading on at home. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lots, by chance, or they would cast lots to make decisions, and according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshippers were praying outside. Then... An angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will call him John. And he will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or any other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. And he will bring many of the people back to, I'm sorry, many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord, this is Jesus, in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed 
time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was over and completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. I want to give some background and begin to pull out some of the meaning for us today from this passage. This begins at the start of Luke's gospel. Luke's gospel, like all the other gospels, begin after a period where God's voice has seemingly fallen silent. And the people of God have gone through a number of fallings away. The kingdom of God that was to be established in this physical place has not turned out to what the people expect. In fact, actually, the people are oppressed in their land, ruled by foreign invaders. In the midst of the people of God, there is this remnant, this small group of people who still are, as verse 6 says, righteous in the sight of God. This is a remnant who, despite the turning away of so many of their brothers and sisters, of the compromises that are made by so many people at this moment and this time, turning away from God's way and His rule, there is still a remnant, a minority amongst the people who still believe with God in all of their hearts. And Zechariah and Elizabeth are part of this group. But you notice something, the way that they're described. This group, this remnant, this smaller subsection of people who are still devoted to God are aging. They're becoming old. And they're hanging in despite seemingly there being no change, no sense of renewal. They're hanging in through a sense of responsibility and duty. But they feel this sense of being harried, of distraction, of caught up in the wrong things. They're looking backwards to when God moved in previous eras. So we have a remnant. But there's a sense where they're looking backwards to the previous age. Now, one of the reasons there's this sense that they're looking backwards is that the temple was the meeting place between humans and God. The temple was a sign of the spiritual health of the people of God. This place where the priesthood and the high priest could actually come in this interface between heaven and earth, communicating with God, hearing his wishes, sacrificing, worshipping, making themselves right with God. Yet this system had broken down. It was still operating. Yet what had happened is the temple, the holy place, had become a worldly place. This place of set-apartness, of separateness from the the toxicity of the world, the, the sin in the world, the unrighteousness and injustice in the world, and the temple where there was this clear division where that stuff could not pass over, that had been mixed and that had been blurred. 
That line had been crossed by foreign invaders who put objects of worship in the temple. That line had been crossed by a temple priesthood who sometimes were looking for financial gain. Later in the Gospels, we will see Jesus come in and clear out of the temple those who are exchanging money, who have turned this holy place into a place of commerce and a place not of turning to God, but actually turning a prophet. Also, that little detail in verse 5, in the time of Herod, king of Judea. Very clearly, the naming of this king reminds the reader that Israel, which was at one point led by the great king David, a man after God's heart, is now actually led by this man Herod. He was only half Jewish, more committed to the ways of the pagan nations than his own people that he rules. A man who at sometimes will seemingly put up a little cultural flag that is connected to the Jewish faith, but then at other times will worship other gods. A man who is in bed with the foreign powers and op- uh, uh, opposition, uh, not opposition, the occupying forces of the day. So the holy place has actually become a worldly place. It's no longer about the people of God in the world. It's now about the world that is coming to the people of God, which is not how God designed things to be. And what this means is, is that the communication channel between humans and God has broken down in the temple. It's like the connection line between humans and God has been severed. And God's voice has fallen silent, not just for a few years, but decades and decades. That remnant who are hanging on desperately cry out in prayer, cry out in turmoil, wanting God to speak. But the response is silence. The revelation that comes when God speaks to his people from that holy place, is no longer happening. And without that spiritual vision, that revelation, the people perish spiritually, culturally, politically, socially, and economically. And these are the tragedies that have actually befallen the people of God at this time. And so no revelation means a remnant with no resonance. When they are famished and thirsting themselves for the word of God, they struggle to then be carriers of the word of God into the world. Their their role to be the light of God in the world cannot be fulfilled because they're hungering themselves to hear from God. There's a remnant, but it's aging and it's lost its prophetic voice. This great tradition of prophets of Jeremiah and Isaiah and Ezekiel, of Elijah and Elisha, these characters who would bring the word of God, bringing the people back to God, turning the hearts of the people back to God, the parts of parents to children, the ways of God communicated through the life of a person, those figures have disappeared. The remnant has lost its prophetic voice the ability to speak God's word and way into the world. So that's the set up before we come into this passage. 
And then we have a day like any other day where the temple was still operating, it was still going through the motions, the religious service is still occurring. There is a remnant turning up, people like Zechariah, people like Elizabeth, they have hearts after God, but it's impotent at this point. There is no resonance. But then something happens. There is a disruption. Zechariah, going into the house of God, is actually shocked to meet a representative of God in this angel. Gabriel, who speaks the word of God for the first time in the generations, in decades. Again, the voice of God is heard. And God again communicates with humanity. And what's so interesting is the moment where God's voice again speaks through this angel Gabriel actually pointing forward of the re-emergence of a prophet, the kind of figure that they've been wishing would come again, that actually Zechariah is going to be the father of a prophet who will come in the spirit and power of Elijah, as verse 17 says. And not only a prophet, but actually a prophet who is going to go before to be a forerunner of the Messiah, the sent one, the Lord, who is coming. Not only you get a prophet, you get a prophet who is a herald and harks who is coming next, Jesus. And so God again speaks. But what's so interesting is at this point, because even amongst the remnant, Zechariah and Elizabeth, this is the best and brightest left, but they're aging and they have no resonance. And even in them, there is this sense where hope has seemingly gone and in its place is a kind of doubt. Like, can we love God, but can he really move in our time and place? Can he move in a situation so much like this? Can he move in a culture which has gone this far down the toilet? And so God speaks. But what's so interesting is that the religious system, the religious service of the last season falls silent. Why? Because God has profoundly disrupted it. The prayer has been answered, but it's bigger and better than they can imagine. And what God is doing is moving them from a phase into a new era. Zechariah comes out and outside people are waiting. They understand the various timings and the different liturgy and movements of the temple. So they know that Zechariah is meant to appear, but he doesn't appear. And outside all of the people are waiting. What would normally happen is the priest would come out and he would give this benediction, which meant that that part of the temple liturgy, the service was over. Zechariah comes out in verse 22 and he can't speak. He can't actually end the service. The service remains broken and incomplete at this point in time. And this type of service that they've been doing and continuing going through the motions, but without any impact, God, in a sense, just stops it there. And normal service shall not resume because God's actually doing a new thing. So, The voice of the last season stops. The religious service, as we understand it, is paused. It's not going back 
into the bottle. God has actually broken the wineskins. Something new is beginning. And what's so interesting is in between verse 22 and 23, there's this shift. Verse 23, so he's still got to stay there. He's still got to complete this service um, in the temple, which is his allotted time. Verse 23, it says this, when his time of service was completed, he returns home. Seemingly an innocuous verse. But actually when we examine it, a profoundly powerful verse. The action here shifts from the temple to the home. People had to come to Jerusalem to meet God in God's house. People would come not just from the surrounding area, but actually would come from the furthest reaches of the known world, making pilgrimage to come to the temple to connect and hear from God. But what we're seeing is that movement inward all of a sudden we see a prequel that is now a movement outward. And all the majesty and magnificence and massiveness of that building, the temple, all of a sudden the drama now shifts from that to the humble home of Zechariah and Elizabeth. We see a shift from the temple to the home that's not just going to mark what happens to Zechariah and Elizabeth. It's actually going to mark which the gospel goes out. And we see this in the book of Acts from the believers meeting in the portico of Solomon in the temple and are scattered out into houses all through the known world. The next thing that God is doing is not happening in last season's religious structures. The next thing that God is doing is actually bursting out into the domestic ordinary places where people struggle to imagine God to be. Verse 24, after returning home, it says this, sorry, after he's returned home, verse 24, after this, his wife Elizabeth becomes pregnant. His wife Elizabeth becomes pregnant. The miracle occurs. These are not young people. These are not people who normally fall pregnant. The Bible is filled with examples of barren couples. We see this all throughout the scriptures, this story which is told again and again of people who thought they were beyond having children, that God could not birth something new. And the symbology of a barren couple having a child in the scriptures is a reminder of us of God's goodness and the fact that at the moments when we think he can't move, he can actually birth something again. And this time, it's not birth, it's, it's inspired, it's communicated in the temple, but that message is then sent forward and it's conceived in the home. The next thing that God does is conceived in the home. And I didn't notice this when I preached this in 2019. I said this line, I read it, but I did not realize the resonance that it would have in 2019. 20. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. For five months, Elizabeth remained in seclusion. I jumped over that last year, moved on to other things, 
I read it out. But seclusion has a greater profundity if you're a human being living on planet Earth at the end of 2020. Seclusion for months on end is not something that the vast majority of us could imagine being stuck in our homes for a period of time. But this side of 2020, all of a sudden when we hear seclusion and someone hiding out in their room, we can identify with that. That actually has been a great part of our story. In 2019, when I preached on this, I did not know that huge amounts of humanity would be stuck in their homes. I did not know that in the state of Victoria, in the city of Melbourne, where I have spent my entire life, that my city would be sent on a months-long seclusion. So why does God move Elizabeth into seclusion? This is the first five months where often you're not necessarily seen if it's pregnant depending on uh, the person carrying the baby, but often people don't even show in those first few months. Yet Elizabeth, someone who has been wanting to fall pregnant, you think about it, normally when someone who's been trying to have a child has been praying for a child, God to break through and do something, when they have a child, man, everyone knows about it. They want to share the good news. Yet at this moment, this prophetic conception, which will point the way to Jesus' coming, Elizabeth moves into seclusion. Why? There's three reasons. The first one is seclusion quietens the outside voices. Seclusion quietens the outside voices. Elizabeth, being a human being, being someone who all of a sudden falls pregnant in a time when it's not normal to get pregnant, particularly later in life, all of a sudden would be surrounded by so many voices and so much commentary. And in the midst of this, the key drama that is occurring is less about what's happening in Elizabeth's individual life as the part that Elizabeth and Zechariah are playing in God's grander drama. And so the key thing here is hearing the voice of God at this time. God's voice has again come to the people of God and in seclusion, when the other voices fall quiet, when distraction is pushed away, In the quiet of one's home, again, we begin to listen to the still, small voice. The still, small voice that Elijah hears. The still, small voice, which is deeply linked to the release of the prophetic. When Elijah is running from the evil queen Jezebel, who is directly coming after his prophetic mantle, God's rehabilitation of him to step back into his prophetic mantle is to again listen to the still small voice. The prophetic, the speaking of God's word, where it cuts through with resonance, where a remnant meets resonance is when we listen to the still small voice. And in seclusion, Elizabeth steps into a space where the outside voices are quietened, but the God, God's voice is able to be heard. The second reason is that seclusion breaks the existing pattern with the previous phase. 
Elizabeth would have been someone who had her usual daily routines, all the different things that she did, the people she would see, the things she needed to do domestically, getting around, going to the temple, working with her husband, whatever she was doing. There's a whole bunch of patterns that she had probably been in her later years for years and years doing that were rote, that were just on autopilot. Yet what the story is telling us is that the patterns of the last season have been profoundly broken. And by going into seclusion, there is this clear break with what has come before. There's actually this pause, this sense, this bracketing between the last phase and the phase that is to come. And lastly, Something has been conceived in the home. If you think about conception, it happens in this private place. God is doing something new and it's protected. And it's protected in this seclusion which is pregnant with prophetic possibility. And through stepping out from everything that she's known in this space, if you think about an artwork is pregnant with possibility when there's blank canvas. This is the beginning point of the next thing that God is doing. It is filled with possibility and that possibility must be protected. Now, if you're not getting it so far, there are so many parallels with what we've been through in 2020. We found ourselves as a church in the world in this time, in Australian culture as a remnant filled with people who have hearts after God. But that remnant is increasingly becoming a smaller and smaller segment of the Australian population. And we have a remnant, which is also aging. The church in Australia is aging. Great people with hearts after God. It's also been a remnant which at times has struggled to have resonance in the world because so much of the world has actually come into the church. And that sense of being a set-apart people, a holy people, because the world has come into the church and the world has come into the people of God versus the people of God going into the world, that meant there has been a sense where this prophetic spiritual voice has been blunted, has been muffled, has been quieted. And in all of the distraction and busyness and temptation, and so many sounds and opinions that exist all around us, the still small voice of God, which inspires the prophetic, has been difficult to discern at times. But then, in 2020, in the most unimaginable ways, a great disruption where the religious systems, the way that we've done services, the way that we've done everything that we are presumed could just keep happening has actually been paused and stopped. Normal service has not resumed. And we've seen this shift from the place where we usually worship, our version of the temple, places with four walls, with a Sunday service, and it's actually shifted to the home. 
And if you think about what happens in the home for Zechariah and Elizabeth is actually something has been conceived there, something surprising and new and maybe at this stage just fragile and needing to be protected. But in 2020, something has been conceived. Has it been conceived everywhere? No. Are there people which have turned off? Yes. Are there people which have walked away and said, I'm out? Yes. But has there been a remnant? Has there been people join that remnant? And has there been something pregnant with prophetic possibility conceived this year in 2020? 100%. And what seemed like a stopping, a pause, which even sent chills down many seasoned pastors' spines as they could not imagine going forward in a new way and were so adjusted to the previous season, actually needs to be reframed as the birth of something new. A seeding, a conceiving within the remnant of a new prophetic possibility, which actually points and heralds to Christ who is to come. Every renewal, every revival, every awakening is again a rediscovery and a pointing towards Jesus who comes and it is when the spirit of Jesus comes in absolute power. And as we take stock, maybe after the busyness of Christmas, maybe in the quietness of Those days at the end of December, the beginning of January, maybe you're going away somewhere, maybe sitting by the beach, maybe you're staying at home, whatever you're doing, and we look back on what God has done this year. What if this year wasn't actually lost? What if actually something was birthed? And this is the beginning of a new possibility for his church where actually the people have been sent out in a new way. So things I'm reflecting on and I encourage you to reflect on as we look forward this Christmas is firstly, how has the seclusion of 2020 prepared us for a new thing? What is being birthed by the Spirit in you? What is the pregnant prophetic possibility of this moment? for you as an individual, for us as Red Church, for the church in the world at this time? What if God's actually saying, don't go back to what was, but actually look forward to the new thing that I am birthing? And this Christmas is not about just going through the motions of doing the same things and putting out the nativity scenes and putting the tinsel on the tree. What if this year Jesus is coming again in a profound new way that doesn't end on December the 25th at midnight, but actually continues into 2021. And there's a new story, a new phase, a new era. And there is an invitation for you to join God in the next thing that he's doing in the next season a prophetic possibility where you and I become heralds of the coming of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we think of the surprises of the stories that we're reading of Zechariah and Elizabeth falling pregnant, of a young girl being told by an angel that she will be the bearer of the coming Messiah, of Magi traveling from faraway lands to find the next king of the Jews, not in a great 
grand palace, but actually a humble manger of God coming close to earth in the form of a humble, weak baby. Of you coming close because you love us so much. God, we just want to give you 2020. In all its frustrations, disappointments, seclusion, we also want to recognize that you have birthed something this year in us. We know that there has pain, pain. There's even been death and loss and economic dislocation and frustration and, and mental anguish at times. But in the midst of it, you turn all things to good. And you have birthed in people new prophetic possibilities that are at this stage are fragile. But I pray in the name of Jesus that your Holy Spirit will grow what has begun. And that your people of God, that we may at this time, that remnant who feels tired and perhaps without hope and perhaps maybe with some doubts like Zechariah, actually we pray the new thing. May we behold it. May you do something new. May this not be a Christmas of just going through the motions like other years. May you come, Jesus, in a new way to us, we pray in your name.